Hello and welcome to Creative Scramble. My name is Cal Thompson and today I'm joined by Marco Fanton and Rami Anwar, the owners of visual engineering company G6 Moco. So you guys have worked with some pretty awesome clients, um, including Boohoo, Man City Football Club and Valentino, you know, in the last year alone. Yeah. Firstly, hello. And what the hell is visual engineering? Just tell us a little bit about G6 Moco. Well, thank you for having us to begin with. Uh, really, really exciting. Yeah, go for it, Rami. Go for it. Where do we start? <laughs> visual engineering. Wow. Uh, so visual engineering is pretty much uh, something. So visual engineering. For example, a client comes over to us and says, "We have the shot in our head. We have no idea how to execute it, and we will create a solution to execute that shot using our existing solutions that we have. For example, a robotic arm. So obviously, okay. it's not everything is not related with your robotic arm. It's also it could be triggers, pneumatic pistons, it could be static stuff, it could be creating something or fabricating something. Fully bespoke. Fully bespoke, yeah. Yeah. So you're, for those who don't know, you own two uh, pneumatic arms. Yeah. Okay, so we have two high-speed robotic arms. One's called Stealth and one's called Raptor. The Raptor is a small one. Uh, it's got a 1.1 meter reach with uh, two to four meters per second speed with a 0.02 millimeter accuracy of precision. Uh, the bigger robot, which is called Stealth, is has a two meter reach with the four meters per second speed with the 0.02 millimeter precision accuracy as well. So they're really fast, really accurate and really agile. Yeah. You pitched yeah. that before once or twice, yeah, didn't yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot, I, I forgot to tell you that the smaller robot has a 10 kilo payload and the larger one has a 20 kilo payload, which is more than enough for everyday, everyday stuff. Okay. So then the idea is you it doesn't have to be slow motion, but you quite commonly will put a high-speed camera on the high-speed moving robot. So when you stitch the shot together, you get a parallax motion on a high-speed shot. The problem is, is that when you shoot in slow motion, it, it's generally so slow that if you put any movement in there on a slider, for example, you would rarely see the motion in there. But when you're using a high-speed robotic arm, it will move super fast, uh, super accurately, and you will see some sort of motion in that super slow motion shot that you got, but there's only there's only so much you can do. With the idea is to freeze motion while in motion. That's yes. the best way to put it, I guess. Yes. Right, okay, so it's almost like a, a bullet time effect. Close enough, yes. Close enough, Close yeah. enough to the bullet time effect, yeah. But yeah, freeze motion whilst in motion. Not only that, but you have a full, fully disjointed camera, so you can move in XYZ just like you would in animation. So you can move the camera in places that normally you see a slider shot, which is linear or parallaxing, or you might have a jib shot where you go up and down, but you always have kind of like an arm that restricts your motion. Mm -hmm. When with a robotic, um, with a motion control rig, you can move your camera in any position and virtually any speed. So you can get CG looking yeah. like um, shots. Yeah, yeah, of course we have, we have full control of focus iris and zoom at them speeds at the same time. So it's, it's quite unreal to the type of stuff that we can do. What kind of shots can you do? What, what what kind of shots have you done? The question is, what kind of shots can we not do? That's the question. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a difficult one. When we get approached and we can't do something, we just come up with an idea and we either make it or... So we have full uh, warehouse facility where we can fabricate CNC, cut, engineer, weld, you know, uh, design, um, anything we want pretty much. And then, you know, we'll, we'll create a solution. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's the, the high-speed robots are not just for super slow motion. We can even use normal cameras on there. And it's just the, the, the motion that we can achieve on the robots is there's no other tool in the world that can create these type of paths. 
So uh, it's not just about the high speed, it's about what we can do with that and how clever we can do with it. For example, because of the accuracy, we can stitch multiple shots together and be really clever in post. That's one thing we'll be doing a lot recently, is just relighting in post-production. So we might be shooting a product, and then the product obviously is static on a tabletop. So we might be doing multiple passes <coughs> with just like one light. So for example, you just use one Kino, one Gemini, one Sky Panel, whatever you want, just one of it. Um, and then you might light the same shot in like blue and let's say you do like your 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 white you kind of like your ambient lighting but then what you can do because they're multiple passes you can line them up in post-production just line up the layers and then you can blend use blend modes and be creative in that in that sense so you virtually what used to cost tens of thousands of pounds and like you used to run by a dmx and having a gaffer on set and just like doing everything for real we can do on like a minimal crew with minimal resources just by using one or two lights and we yeah. can place them in different just like it, it is the same workflow as you would have as a photographer in photoshop when yeah. you do product photography but we can do it in motion so yeah we, we have we have photoshop in our video suite <laughs> so when you take when you normally get a, ph a photographer it will take like three shots at the exact same place of, of the exact same product with different lighting positions and stuff and then he merge it in photoshop you brush them in together we can do that with video yeah yeah that's pretty much it these robots originally started in in sort of car manufacturing facilities on a production line, doing repeatable moves, building a car, or they were used for spray painting or whatever. When did they transition from that to to sort of being a common sight on a film set, or is that still transitioning? Are people still new to this technology? Uh, it is. It is still fairly new. Uh, I think there's probably less than a hundred of these machines across the globe. Um, and obviously to have two of them, we, we, we're really proud of it. And it is such a unique position, especially in the UK market, because there are many companies that are doing what we're doing right now. We're pretty much the only visual engineers with high-speed motion control in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we, yeah, we, 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 like, we, like to, we like to think that. There are, there are like people like Universal Studios, they have similar kind of machines, but they're like way bigger in like, and they're like fixed to like big studios. So what they might use them instead of, instead of moving a camera, they might use them for, moving a model or like rigging an actor and pretending to be, I don't know, you want to fly Superman and you get the guy dressed in Superman against the blue screen and you oh. get the flying motion. So there are other companies doing similar stuff in the UK, but on a larger scale for like big, like Warner Brothers have one but of them. But they don't do visual longer. engineering though. Don't They're not visual shots, engineering company, yeah. no. Yeah. It, it is kind of like a similar operation on a larger yeah. scale for bigger yeah. productions. So <coughs> I reckon it started literally years and years and years ago, but it was so hard, the technology was so hard to get hold of, no one had access to it. Now, we're obviously, we're making people, you know, we're giving, we're giving the solution to the everyday person now. But the accuracy it, wasn't quite the same as it is yeah. now. Uh, Software, technology wasn't the same. Implementation. And, uh, I think the, the groundbreaking moment in the film industry was uh, when Gravity was shot. That was when the same kind of like type of motion control rig started to pop up and then companies started to producing them and selling them, but Gravity was, um, the kind of like the milestone in the industry where people started using motion control combined with lighting and specifically built rigs to create that effect when they were supposed to be in space and there was no gravity in the shot and that was the best way to replicate it. Yeah, cool. I mean, not to throw you under the bus, but you, it's a, you're a very new company. Or let's say two years ago, this didn't exist. You know, you didn't have any understanding of, of robots or software. Or you have no experience in it whatsoever. You yourself, Marco, were quite a successful DOP. You were making good money, working on some great projects. Why did you decide to uproot, join forces, and go and set up a completely new company in a completely different space with no experience? It takes a lot of balls. Yeah, balls, <laughs> balls, balls deep, as we say. 
it, uh, it wasn't supposed to be a company, to be completely honest. It was supposed to be, I was still supposed to be pursuing my DOP career with a motion control rig that was supposed to be an easy upsell to clients. The natural progression of that kind of like strategy became so um, effective and it grew so fast that we had to incorporate it as a company because it was just too much for the two of us Something to, to, to handle. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was like it was full time or nothing type of thing. It, it, the type of level of production that we, we had to produce and the, the, the quality that we had to produce, it, it needed more time and efforts and resources putting in. So it was like, this is, this is, this is turned out to be like something, let's build something and see if we can do it. And we, da- and we nailed it. And then afterwards we're like, hold on, this is a lot better than what we think. So it, it was a bit of a, it was a big step. There's a specific moment and that was November of 2018 when we had a client that approached us and uh, what well, approached Rami because Rami was running G6 Media at the time. Uh, and eventually we became G6 Moco by merging forces. But there was a client that wanted to shoot some phantom stuff. So we hired a phantom VEO but we couldn't afford the motion control arm. We just couldn't hire, the budget wasn't there for it. So we ended up fabricating a, f- a turntable and was the sketchiest thing ever. <laughs> um, it was a turntable, but the table itself stays still and the camera spins around uh, so, so the ske- product. Yeah, so that sketch we made the turntable out of wheel bearings of a vehicle, of a <laughs> car, car wheel bearings to make it turn. And it was powered by a power drill. Yep. So there was literally <laughs> a power drill welded onto the rig to make this old contraption spin with a, with a Manfrotto head. And we rigged the Phantom on that. It was and clever and it worked. It worked, yeah. <laughs> it, worked. it was so sketchy. Mate, I was scared. I had, I had a Phantom VEO on there, like an 80,000 pound camera probably about 100 grand with the setup, that the combined setup, and it was spinning on a power drill. <laughs> this is sketchy. But um, it managed to work, uh, and we nailed it. And then one thing led from another from there. Uh, it was fun. The footage got a lot of attention. People started asking for similar kind of content. And uh, we got in touch with a company that supplies similar solutions. There are two companies uh, that we know of right now in the world that can actually sell a robotic arm. Uh, one of them uh, is based in England, but they have uh, somewhat of a monopoly uh, in the higher market. Um, and they weren't willing to sell us a solution because obviously we were gonna compromise the operation that they have going on. Um, and at that point we started looking into what if we just buy, ultimately they're just industrial robots. What if we just buy one of those and we'll work it out from there. So we did buy one. And uh, obviously when you buy one of those, you can buy an industrial robot off the shelf but it won't move, you can just look at it. Uh, They're supposed to be in in a factory environment where they're just doing the same motion over and over and over again 24 seven, they're just building the same thing. And then a really well paid engineer comes in and reprograms it if the production changes. So the environment where they live is just not made for what we do. For example, if you're in a factory environment, the important part is point A and point B, you're grabbing something here and you're placing it in point B. When, when you rig a camera to a robot, the important part is the path from A to B, not as much A and B themselves. Uh, so we had to modify the rig both on the hardware side and then come up with software solutions to get them to do what we wanted it to do. But obviously me and Marco are filmmakers by trade. Um, luckily, um, we had uh, the background experience, like I studied computer games and video design and computer programming. So when we, the hardest bit was creating the software integration and solution for it to work uh, for the filming industry. So we had that skill set behind us 
um, just happened to be there. So for us to get that all integrated and, and get working and get perfected, it was a lot easier for us than any other person because we just had that knowledge behind us. So that was an advantage from us. For it was easier to find the right the people direction as well. to, to, yeah, yeah. to direct the project, to be a, a good project manager. So you just yeah. went getting screwed over by people charging you a fortune in yeah. building something where you knew what exactly what you needed. Um, so we go from one platform to another and integrate solutions within that to make it work for the filming industry. I think what was quite interesting when we first started the company, we were nowhere near ready <laughs> to take on a job. Um, in terms of like w going into a big production and supplying the same level of service that other companies are able to supply. We were invited to pitch for, uh, to do a demo day and pitch for a big production. Uh, and we were nowhere near ready for that. But we did, we said yes anyway, and we had two weeks to make it work. So what happened was that we had a full-time coder in Mexico and a full-time coder in Russia. And we were working 24 seven to try to get this rig to work for the pitch and to try to win the job. Yeah. Uh, and we were working 24 hour shifts, literally, literally. It was literally. Like 12 hours each to try to get this thing to work. Um, and uh, yeah, we made it and uh, eventually won the job. Marco was doing 12 hours in the day, I was doing 12 hours in the night for two weeks solid. We had to work around the clock to get everything working to the way we had to pitch this particular job. <laughs> it was a nightmare, it was a lot of hours, but it was painstakingly. Uh, but yeah, we, we pretty much nailed it and we wanted it. Yeah, the hardest part, believe it or not, was to come up with um, how do you buy and grab an existing follow focus system and how do you time it and sync it with the motion of the robot? So we had to, what we ended up doing was we, um, we've bought a, an RT motion follow focus because it was the easiest one to reverse engineer. So we managed to understand what code was going in and out of the follow focus and we managed to write a piece of software that actually controls the focus in real time as the robot moves. And that was the hardest part to do. Yeah, and we've actually just uh, integrated that, well, developed another version of that with another motion control, uh, sorry, um, focus uh, iris and zoom system. And uh, we're pretty much the only company in the world that's at the moment that has reverse engineered that particular product as well. So we're always making new steps and uh, moving forward. So did that tech not exist or did the competition have it and they weren't giving it to you? Or how, how does that all work? Or did you just go, we've got to make this work. We, let's just start from here and try something. Yeah, I mean, the tech, obviously, there's, there's different, it's a hard question to uh, answer that one. There's different ways of doing different things. Uh, the hard thing is, is is integrating it with your robot. The other solutions out there, for example, the one in the, the way, uh, that we mentioned in the UK, it's a totally different robot. So their way of talking to the Focus Iris and Zoom system is totally different to ours. So we had to come out with our own solution. Obviously, we had help from uh, engineers and uh, developers around the world. Uh, but inevitably, we kind of put our own package together the way we want to film and, and uh, program. All the hard work paid off because we are now in a way ahead of the competition in terms of motion control, not forgetting about the whole production side and what we offer besides motion control. But we now, for example, we can control a motion control rig with an Xbox controller or a VR handset or we, we implemented DMX so we can run lighting in real time with the robot. So those are all things that other companies are not doing right now because um, they're just stuck in the old way. So what we found out when we started working in film sets was that you end up, you might have a director that wants a shot or a director of photography that wants a shot 
and then you're just stuck in a corner typing numbers and like getting getting the whole motion control rig to work for let's say 10 minutes but then the director and director of photography don't know what's happening and no one is necessarily telling them why they are waiting so long for a shot to be programmed so simple things like giving to the director an xbox controller and getting the director to come up with a shot and feel like he's playing a video game or she's playing a video game makes it more interactive and more fun to be on set and this is what other people are not doing right now they're just offering a service but they're not thinking about the bigger picture and how do you involve everyone on set in the motion control and how do you make it fun yes i guess it's making it more of a creative journey than just a technical experience Correct. and trying to bring in creatives and making uh, making it happen you kind of touched on it a second ago in terms of production are you guys filmmakers producers or are you engineers or you've all, <laughs> all of them we don't know yet <laughs> well it's it's, it's it's evolving, the company's evolving as we're going. So we first started off, like we said, it was just something on the side, let's add some services uh, to our uh, products uh, list. Um, and then it went full time, and then we were just like rental. And then as things progressed, we got everything neat, we streamlined our solution, and then we decided, right, okay, we'll, 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 we'll then we've been approached from companies to produce stuff, not just with the motion control, with just normal everyday stuff. So we heavily involved in that. And then there's there's other stuff like social media management, uh, but a bit of a on a large scale type of things. Um, so it's like things are moving and changing every single day. We try and grasp and decide where to go, where to stick. But sky's the limit. I mean, we we're getting some really good stuff thrown at us, and um, it's hard not to say no. <laughs> Twelve months in, the robots have become more of a business card than a service. So people get in touch for the robot, but then it becomes because you, you're filtering the lower end of the market by being really expensive and offering such a service. When a client approaches you, they probably already have a half a decent or a decent budget allocated to the project. So it becomes easy to say, yes, we, we can handle the production. And then the next step hap that, that, that naturally happened was we were producing really high quality content but then, especially in the digital era now that we live in where everything is social media related, it just wasn't being marketed the correct way. So we've decided to kind of like step into the social media management in a way where um, we want to make sure that if you're spending tens of thousands of pounds in uh, um, producing really high quality content, then you want your content to hit the right people and to hit the right market. Uh, and that wasn't happening, so we are starting to, uh, as of a few months ago, offer this service to some of our clients, and uh, it is working out really well. What would you say is your favourite project so far? Favourite project? It depends. Um, now, it, would you say motion control, or would you say every single day? Let's, let's focus on motion control first, because that was how your company was born. Okay, the favourite favorite project so far was probably, my one was probably, off, off the top of my head, is probably the Noodles one, I reckon. What do you think? That that was a big hit, because it did really well on social media. Explain it. So okay, so the, 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 the Noodles uh, one was a shot that we did, uh, it was on the Phantom, it was a 4.9 second shot in real time, which we slowed down, but there was a whole load of pneumatics, pistons, and, and uh, uh, triggers, everything was really accurate, and it was a story of a stir fry within 4.9 seconds, but once slowed down, it was a full story. Okay, so what happened was we have obviously our technology, 
and then we have a promotion hire who are next door to us and they have Phantom VOs. So we decided to team up with them and uh, Coolbox, who are a production company that deals mainly with food-related content. Uh, and we're like, we have our technology, so we have a robot that moves at four meters a second. We have a Phantom camera that shoots a thousand frames a second, but you can only do it for 4.9 seconds. How do we push everything that we have to the, to the absolute limit? And how do we make something that's absolutely groundbreaking and borderline never, never been done before? Mm. So we came up with this one take, 4.9 seconds, with multiple pneumatics and, 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 and so on. But the problem is that when you shoot something at that speed, you need to remove the human error from, from the whole production aspect. Because if you're shooting a 1,000 frames a second and you're, you're waiting for someone to chop some peppers or for some, I don't know, some stuff to fall into a frying pan, if you wait for that person and you try to cue them on a 4.9 seconds kind of like time scale, it just becomes impossible. You would be doing the take over and over and over again and it would just never work. So we combine pneumatics. So we fire this stuff up in the air. It falls down to a fraction of a second in the pan over and over again at the same time in the same position. So in that, in that way, we managed to yeah. create that 4.9 second one take shot all controlled through our motion control software that we've got. So everything was all integrated. So we press play, the camera moves, the, uh, the, the robot moves, the camera starts recording, the triggers start making and uh, doing their triggers and everything just happens automatically. And that way you don't have no room for error. <coughs> Human error, sorry. Yeah. Have you ever got on set and uh, the robot's not played ball, computer says no, or you face some sort of particular difficulty that you've had to overcome? Well, the computer's never said no. There have been difficulties as in <coughs> on the, it's, it's a learning curve, you know, you, you, it, robotics is is a whole new skill set alone. Understanding how a robot works is a degree on its own. So the, the only uh, issues that we've had it was, like we're trying to do a shot and I'm like, I'm not getting this right. So then I have to rethink and re redo the shot in a different direction. But that's pretty much the main problem that we have. Robots know. are stupid. Yeah. They, <laughs> they, they, they are pretty stupid. They, they, they're brilliant, brilliant pieces of kit, but they, they're stupid in a way where you might just say you need to go from A to B and you need to be doing an arc. Uh, but then what happens is that you might be in a position where, so right, going back one step, a robot has six axes. So picture your gimbal where you've got three axes. You've got six of them on a robot and that, that's what allows for the camera to be disjointed and to be in any position at any time you need to be able to manage each of those axes in motion. So the robot will decide and understand which, the, which one is the best way to get from point A to point B. Because the robot is the one that decides, sometimes the robot doesn't understand that the best way to go from point A to point B is not the correct way. So you need to overcome that type of issues. So that's probably the, the majority of the problems that we have encountered on set. But we know what the problems are. We know what the issues can be. So we know how to fix them now 12 months into this. Yeah. <coughs> so we, A, we use our software, or B, we use a, a smart solution to get it that way. I mean, it sounds like an awful lot of prep goes into, you know, even just a day's shoot, which you may get one shot, right? Well, for example, for the send nudes, that's how the project was called, we spent uh, five days in the studio between lighting, prepping, programming, and then the actual shot we did. I think we did five takes, four or five takes. Uh, four or five takes and everything was yeah. perfectly fine. And they were, they were all good takes, we just picked the best one out of it. So whichever, whichever, fell, whichever the peppers and the vegetables fell correctly, you know, that was it. Yeah, so you shoot something in 4.9 seconds and then it takes two hours to reset. 
I mean, but some, some cases we're on set and we'll do 20, 30 shots in one day. Some cases we'll be on set and we'll do 10 shots in one day. Every job is different, depends on how far you want to go. If you want to do basic shots, high speed, then you'll knock out loads. If you want to do uh, tricky shots where focus on iris and zoom was important and they were going in and out and there's loads of keyframes, then obviously it's, you're going to reduce the amount of shots. But you know, it, it's, all, it's all about that one shot that's never been seen before type of thing or unseen, you know. You've been rustling some feathers. We've recently mentioned, uh, you know, there's some competition in London. There's a couple of other companies doing this in America. How competitive do you think the, the sort of the field of motion control is, and is it is it growing? Is there room to grow for you guys? I wouldn't say it's super competitive because there's a lot of people that want to use motion control. We're trying to make as much noise as we can, so we can tell people that this technology exists in the UK. Some people don't know where to go for this type of solution. So there's plenty of work out there for uh, the handful of companies that are somewhat offering similar solutions. Um, but um, I, I, there's, 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 there is room for growth, but we've already got two robots and you know we would like to have more, but would we need more at this moment of time? I don't know, what do you think? I, I think that, um, it, it so the, there's not necessarily competition. We we found this to be sometimes you know in the film industry y y you kind of like you might be a little bit jealous of the next guy because he's working on a better project and he might land a bigger contract and you're like I wish I was on that six months documentary for example. That's how I found that as a director of photography. You have a lot of like respect for your colleagues and your peers in the industry and and, and you want them to do really well. But at the same time you can't help it when. When, when someone lands something really good, you wish, you wish it was yourself. Within the visual engineering and the robotics industry, the kind of stuff that we're doing right now, we've found that everyone is being really friendly. So we might give work to each other a lot more than we used to in, in kind of like the director of photography field. Uh, there isn't jealousy, you don't mind sharing your secrets, you don't mind sharing your technology with other companies because ultimately you're all in the same yeah. game and it is so new and groundbreaking that everyone is really open and willing to share solutions. They w we really found it to be extremely friendly yeah. across the globe. We, we talk to people in America all the time, we talk to people in Australia, we've got people all over the world that help us out and in exchange we, we help them out as well. You know, you, you might hit a problem on set and you don't know how to fix it and then you might end up being on a phone call to America for 10 minutes just to be like, oh yeah, it was like the silliest thing. but without the help from other people in the same field. Um, I mean, ultimately, yeah, <laughs> we, we call ourselves visual engineers, but we're not engineers by trade. So we learn as we go. Uh, and sometimes you just need some, some an helping hand from, from someone else. Yeah, I mean, there's always something to learn. Like I could ring someone and ask for uh, advice and, <coughs> and they would ring you back for something else that we know that they wouldn't. There's so much to learn in this industry. It's, it's like starting again from scratch. And that is it's, it's, it's too much to be, to be fair sometimes. It's always good to help each other out. I'm assuming these pieces of kit aren't cheap. Um, let you know, you've got two robots, one big one, one little one. So you've invested very heavily uh, you know, early on in the company. Why did you choose to buy the kit versus sort of maybe renting and, and upselling that idea? Well, first things first is renting was really difficult because the only option to rent was on the other side of the country uh, and it was really expensive as well. So obviously, if you want to get into something like this, you want to learn, you want to understand, you want to try new things, and that could cost money where, where nobody would, ha would have the amount of time it takes to get to where we are. So 
um, we just decided to uh, to figure it out. I mean, we decided, we realized that we can do it. We had the resources, we had the we had the we had the understanding and the knowledge and the balls <laughs> to actually do something like this. So um, yeah, we just we just decided to go for it rather than rent. I think that was it was a big risk, but it I mean it, it could have like in the same way that it, it worked out really well. It could have it could have broke us completely. Uh, we both had really good lifestyles. We were doing really well in 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 in, in the industry, and uh, to drop that altogether and to get into this with a with a pretty hefty debt uh, was scary. But it worked out, yeah. and I guess that really taking happy. risks sometimes just pays off. Mm. You're not going to get anywhere in life unless you take risks. Wise words, guys. Wise words. Um, <coughs> I guess you still call yourselves uh, a startup because the company's still quite young and I know that you're coming up against some quite common issues um, that other smaller companies will be coming up against. One of those is hiring people. Um, what would you say you've learned about hiring people and what sort of insights can you give to other smaller companies? Don't hire people. <laughs> it's not <laughs> easy. It's not easy. <laughs> that's, I think that's one of them. Right. Y y you can really, you can, right. If, if you're trying to program a robot and you're with a technology, you can, you can close yourself in a room and sit there for weeks on end and trying to work it out and eventually you come up with a solution. When you hire people, you gotta buy into the personality of the person that you're hiring as well as the skill set. And it is really hard to find someone that can fulfill both, be a nice person and have a really nice skill set. We've found both. We found people with great skill sets that were horrible people and uh, lovely people that were just not quite fast enough for the kind of pace that a startup needs. I think, you know, three years down the line, five years down the line, when we're more established, when we're like, you know, the cash flow is a lot healthier and you've got a lot more business coming in in a continuous basis, then you can afford to have someone in and train them from scratch and you can really, you know, get a person and that, that really does what you need. Uh, but when you're a startup, you know, uh, there's already two of us taking a wage out of the business. When you, when, when you bring in extra people, it really hits you. I think more mentally than, 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 than the cash flow itself because you're always worried like, this is working out, but what if it stops? Like we are 12 months into this and it is working out, but you're always afraid, you know, you've got, we took on premises, so we've got a studio to pay for, we've got offices to pay for every month, we've got the lease of this machine to pay for cost every month. Cost of insurance. The cost of the insurance on this machine. Customers, because well, yeah, you can't just get normal off-the-shelf insurance, it was literally bespoke. So there's a lot that, that, you know, it becomes expensive to run and no one teaches you how to run a company and no one teaches you how to deal with people. And we're learning. Uh, it, it's it's taking it's taking time, but you know it is it is terrifying that you know twelve months into this being a startup company, we have now two full time staff as well as myself and Rami, and we employ a handful of freelancers on on a monthly basis. And uh, all of these people that you are employing are relying on you. You know they might have mortgages, they might have a car finance to pay or, or, or stuff like that, and ultimately you are paying for that kind of stuff, especially if they're full time with you. So it really plays a lot in your head when you're employing people. Um, you are committing a lot to the person that you're employing, but non the person sometimes the person that you are employing just sees you as an employer and they just see as a nine to five, they just see as a job. They don't understand it. You, you just like them and you're just trying to work it out by the day. Um, and that's what we struggle to find in people when we hire them. Uh, and I think that's the main reason why they drop like flies in the last six months. <laughs> 
but we, we are in a good place now. We've got we've got a strong team behind us. Amazing. Um, what advice would you give to others looking to sort of step into a space that they've possibly never worked in before? What do you mean by that? You, you, you kind of touched on it earlier in terms of no risk, no reward. Um, but just to sort of finish off the podcast and on a nice little positive note, I just wondered if you had any sort of words of wisdom for, for people who might be listening to this thinking, I've got, you know, I've got a full-time job, I'm safe, I've got bills to pay, but I want to try something new. Uh, obviously, it worked out for you guys, but you said it could have also fallen flat on its arse. Why do you think it worked for you and why can't it work for somebody else? Right. I think it worked for us because we were passionate about what we do. Um, now, obviously, we, we both enjoy what we do in, in the background, but sometimes things can get really difficult and stressful in doing repetitive stuff. So what we, what we decided was when we got into this industry, it was, it was something completely different and it was really exciting and something I really wanted to do. And I, I knew myself that if I did this, I'd enjoy it till the end of time. And, you know, a year into this and I'm, I'm still as excited as I was when we first started. But my, my advice is if you enjoy what you do, you know, you never work a day in your life. So find something that you enjoy. Obviously, everyone enjoys what they do. But when it becomes repetitive and boring, you know, find something more, uh, better, not better. And it could be, you could earn less money for all, for all you know, you know, it's as long as you enjoy it, you know, you work towards that and take the risk. So we, I, I knew I'd enjoy this. I've always seen videos online and stuff like this, but I, I said, you know what, that I really, I'm gonna, that is something I wanna do. And I just went and took the risk and, and blindfolded just jumped straight into it. And you know, thank God it worked. And uh, if I can add to that, it'll be, just fucking do it. <laughs> just fucking do it. I've had I've had businesses in the past that didn't quite work out the way I wanted them to work. But the one thing that I can say is that if you always look forward and you learn from your mistakes, like I'm now applying what I've learned by fucking up in the past, I'm applying to this business model and I'm making sure I'm not making the same mistakes. So yeah. even if something doesn't work out, just don't be beaten up. Just yeah. you know, chin up and just carry on and uh, and eventually you're gonna find something. It I mean, takes balls and passion yeah. and it takes, you know, commitment is, is, is pretty hard. You know, I admire people that can work into a nine to five and, and, and they just, you know, they live for the weekend and they're happy like that. I wish I could be like that. My life would be a hell of a lot easier. But if you're a risk taker, you just fucking do it. <laughs> Great words of wisdom there, guys. Um, thank you very much for your time. That was amazing. Just quickly to finish us off, how can people find out about you? Have you got any social channels or a website or anything like that? Yeah, we've got a website, uh, Instagram, YouTube, and uh, all our channels are G6MoCo. So MoCo is the official term for motion control. It's an official like short terminology of it. So motion control. So at G6MoCo yeah, on Instagram. So Instagram is at G6MoCo. Uh, YouTube is the same. YouTube is the same. We did launch a YouTube channel back in November, but then life <laughs> got in the way. So we've got we've got some backlog in there that we're working towards, and uh, that was yeah. kind of like part of the employing people and finding the right person. But I think we've got that down now, so you should be expecting some more content. And yeah. uh, hopefully, we'll be starting our own podcast, and uh, we'll love to have you on it. Me personally, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll see you there. <laughs> nice one, guys.